Amen. Open up those Bibles for the reading of the text this morning. We are going to be in Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. I'll be reading verses 1 through 10. Verses 1 through 10. Uh, If you do not have a Bible with you or do not own a Bible, there should be a white or blue paperback Bible right there in front of you in that pew back right there in front of you. If you do not own a Bible, that is our gift. Merry Christmas to you this morning. We want to give you the gift of God's Word. Fall in love with Christ in those scriptures. Revelation chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. When you get there, say, joy to the world. All right. Upon the conclusion of the reading of the text, I will say this is the Word of the Lord. And you respond with? Fantastic. Revelation 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written, Within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, Merry Christmas, Westside. We are glad that you're here. And I tell you what, I'm excited for today. Um, We have been in a series entitled Christmas Carols, and we've been looking at all of the songs that were sung around the birth of Jesus Christ. And maybe if you're new to church or if you haven't been here, you probably the last thing that you thought that you would hear read on Christmas Eve is something from the book of Revelation. Right, with scrolls and all types of stuff like that. But welcome to Westside. We're going to go on a ride today, bro. Right? And it's going to be a lot of fun. So maybe I can set this up for us. Um, In 1983, a movie was released that grossed um, $350 million in the box office. It was Steven Spielberg's, really one of his hit movies that got him very famous Any 80s fans in here, right? 80s fans? Um, Maybe this will help. It was starring in a lead role, a new up-and-coming heartthrob by the name of Michael J. Fox. Oh, do we know the name? Do we know the name, right? Back to the Future. Back to the Future was the movie that was released. Did you know this, that the original title for the movie was supposed to be called Spaceman from Pluto? Right? Wow. Talk about a flop on that thing. But what's interesting about it, the guy that wrote the script is a guy by the name of Bob Gale. And Bob was actually visiting his parents who lived in St. Louis, Missouri um, at the time. And he was down in the basement. He was visiting his parents. They were looking at old pictures. And he realized that his dad was class president of his graduating class. And then Bob realized, I remember my class president 
and I didn't like him at all, right? And he was like really nerdy and all. Sorry if you're a class president, okay? And, and, and he said, I wonder what it would have been like to go back and know what my dad was like then to see if I would like my dad now. Hence the title, Back to the Future. And that really sets us up for today because we've been looking at songs that were sung around the first coming of Jesus Christ. Advent is a term that comes from the Latin term meaning the coming or arrival. And it's really about two things we've said. Advent is about reflection, where we look back on the first coming of Jesus Christ. We've looked at the song of Mary. We looked at the song of Zechariah. We looked at the song of the angels, glory to God in the highest. And we looked at the song of Simeon as well. But Advent is also a time for preparation. Because Jesus didn't just come once, but he's coming again. Amen? And what we see in our text today is literally something that will happen in the future. So we've gone back to look at a song that we will sing in the future. Because if you look at the text in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, it says, and they sang a new song. That phrase, new song, is only used a number of times in the scriptures. But here we see a new song that's literally never been sung in heaven or earth before. Where we're at is in the book of Revelation. And if you've grown up in church or not in church, the book of Revelation has probably been used to scare you to death, right? He's coming, he's coming, all that good stuff. But in reality, it is written by the Apostle John, right, who wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, gave us the gospel of John as well. And he is on the island of Patmos. He has been banished there for loving Jesus Christ. And he gets a vision of what it looks like, of what some future events are going to take place. And John sets up for chapter 4 and chapter 5, literally the worship service of what it's going to look like when Jesus Christ returns. Isn't it interesting to know that this morning at Westside, we did not start a worship service, but rather we joined a worship service, a worship service that was already taking place in heaven. And so here's the big idea, the cookies on the bottom shelf. Here's what I want you to understand today, that when Jesus Christ returns, we will rejoice with a new song. We will rejoice with a new song. You see, we have to go back in order to see what's going to happen. And as songs were sung around the first arrival of Jesus Christ, there will be another song that is sung when he comes back again. And we see those lyrics there in verses 9 through 10. And so the first thing that we see, what's this song going to be about? The first thing that we're going to sing about is this. We will sing that Jesus is worthy. That Jesus is worthy. Did you know that the word worship actually comes from an old English word, worth-ship? Meaning that you ascribe worth to something. 
And what we see, what John is going through here, John's not tripping acid or anything like that. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit in Revelation 5, right? And he says, Then I saw the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, and a scroll was written on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open this scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven and on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look in it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy. There's our word, worthy, to open the scroll. But then verse 5, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And then they burst out, Worthy are you to take the scroll. He's singing about Jesus. But I know what you're saying. Why, 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 why? Why is Jesus worthy to take the scroll? Well, he actually tells us there the first thing that Jesus is worthy is because he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. I tell you what, I mean, if I could have a nickname in high school, that'd be a pretty cool one, right? The lion of the tribe of Judah. This is an Old Testament. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 22, where God prophesied when he was forming Israel through Abraham. And he said that through these people, there will be a lion that will come and literally conquer the world. You see, I think Christmas oftentimes makes us too cozy. And we try to tame Jesus and make him into something that he's not. Oh yes, he came as a baby. I had a board member this morning text me and say, we're praying for you this morning. And can you believe that God invested everything into a baby? That shows us that God is vulnerable, that God is approachable. But listen, don't get it mistaken. He came as a baby once, one time. You see that he stands and is seated there at the throne. How about this? Turn in your Bible over a couple chapters to Revelation 19. Revelation chapter 19. Use your Bible in church this morning. How crazy would that be? Revelation chapter 19. This is my favorite description of Jesus. I like to call it Frank Castle Jesus, the Punisher right here. Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were followed. Following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp, two edged sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name that is written the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Merry Christmas. This is the Christ who stands in heaven now. 
This is the Christ, as the early church called, Christus Victus. Christ the victor. Christ who has conquered the grave. Christ who has conquered sin. And yes, the first time he came, the angel sang, Peace on earth, for God and sinner are reconciled. But don't get it twisted. When he comes back, justice will be served. This is this Christ. You see, we are just like the people in the Old Testament who were waiting for the arrival of their Savior. You see, Christ has come, but He is coming again. Now listen to me. Don't keep Jesus in the manger, little baby, six, eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus, right? Don't keep Him in the manger because He is resurrected. And as A.W. Tozer said, the first time He came, He came to slay the sin that was in men. But the next time that He comes, He will slay men that are found in their sin. And listen to me today. If there's one message that I could get across from you, we preach an old school gospel, right? We preach a real Jesus resurrected in an inspired Bible. And it's this. Don't, don't mistake Jesus's Patience with passivity. Just because he is patient now, there will be a day when he comes and he will pay. Everyone understands this, that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. But the second description is this, that he is the root of David. Do you see it there in the verse? That he is the root of David. See, you've got to understand that the Bible wasn't written to us. Right? It's written for us. But it wasn't written to us. There's first century Jewish people in a background. And David, right? You remember David, the original hipster, I like to call him in the Old Testament, right? He probably wore flannels before it was ever cool, right? I mean, he would kill a lion and a bear with his bare hands, but he was also in touch with his artistic side and would play the harp. You know what I mean? Right? Like, this guy was awesome. And this guy was the king of Israel, man. He had favor in the sight of God. He was not perfect, but he found grace in God's favor. And what the elder is saying in this passage is, listen, there is a king above all kings. That, there, that Jesus Christ is the root of David. That he comes from the lineage of royalty in light of that. And listen, this should give us peace in 2017 when there's wars and when there's rumors of wars. And we see nations and we turn on the news and we see another car bombing that's taken place. And we see all types of things. My question to you is, what is your hope in light of that? Where do you find your hope? Where is it rested? Because mine is rested in a king above all other kings. Because when Jesus Christ comes, everyone will bow the knee and they will cast their crowns at his feet. He's worthy of that. And then the last description is that he's the Lamb of God. <laughs> That's anticlimactic, right? Right? Do you see the, the change in the text? Right, It's bubbling to this point. And then look at verse 6. And between the throne, the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb. Right? I mean, really? Really? We're talking about lions here. I mean, we're talking, there's dragons in here. There's like, you know, just crazy creatures. And all of a sudden, you're looking at a bloody lamb? As though it had been slain? What's this about? Again, this is an Old Testament reference. That back then, they would go to the temple and they would offer their sacrifice. 
that if a family was wealthy, that they would have a lamb without blemish. If they were poor, they would offer turtle doves in light of that. And the great high priest would stand there upon the day of atonement. And we don't need to glamorize this because it would have been a bloody place. Standing there, the great high priest making atonement constantly for sin. But the book of Hebrews would say that that never actually took away all sin. And then the gospel of John tells us that when John the Baptist looks and sees Jesus coming, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So, so I, I, I know what you're saying. What do these descriptions mean, Jason? It's 2017, I got an iPhone. Come on, man, right? What does this mean here? Well, I think there's two applications that we can make from this. The first one is this, that Jesus Christ cannot be controlled. You can't tame Jesus. Listen, you don't negotiate with a king. And what happens when two kingdoms come together? That's called a war, by the way. And John is describing, look at this. I mean, he's the lion of Judah, the root of David, the lamb of God. We don't negotiate with Christ and say, hey, I'm going to have you be um, an accessory to my life, right? I'm going to do this, this, and this my way. But if you could come in and I don't know, give me a little peace, a little kumbaya, help me out with this sickness I got or something like that, that would be great. But I really don't want to bow the knee to you. And you know what's funny is we see this happening at this holiday season. You know what my favorite time with Christmas is? Is looking on social media and seeing the kids that have experienced Santa Claus for the very first time. Because it is traumatic, right? <laughs> Parents are all trying to hype it up. And I googled a couple pictures. Check this out, right? Maybe your childhood looked like this. You know what I mean? <laughs> Traumatized, man, right? I love Santa and the story. I love all that stuff. That's all fun. woo You know what I mean? This is my absolute favorite. This is the best one right here. <laughs> I mean, her pigtails are in like motion right there. You know what I mean? But think about it. I think we can learn a lot from kids. Because Santa's great on paper. Santa's great when we talk around him in the house. And he brings presents and he does all of that. But when I really see him at the mall and he gets out of his chair... I'm going to lose my mind, right? That's scary. I don't know what this guy is going to do in this moment. And the reality is, is many of us come to Christ like he's Santa Claus. Keep my family safe. Do this. Do this. In your name, amen. And then be with them, 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 and then be with them. Amen. Listen, you can't tame Jesus. He's uncontrollable. He is sovereign king of ruler of the universe. You don't negotiate with someone like that. And I can understand how you're responding to this, whether you understand the gospel or not. Because because if you've been enslaved by religion, then that statement is fearful to you. Because you think then, then he's going to have access to your life and do some things, and you're fearful of that because you've always seen him as angry with you. But when you understand the gospel, you understand the fact that he already knows, and yet he still pursues you anyway. The comforting thing is the second application is this, that Jesus controls the future, right? He can't be controlled, but Jesus controls the future. There's a lot, I mean, I read commentary after commentary this week, Revelation chapter 5. They waste pages and pages and pages and pages on what the scroll is in the text, right? I ran across one blog that talked about it was something about something Donald Trump signed or something like that. I'm like, really, bro? Like, come on, man. Do you know what? Do you know what the scroll is? We don't know. 
God doesn't tell us, okay? But one thing that we can understand is what one commentator says is that it might be the deed to the universe. I think that's pretty cool. You know what I mean? We understand that scrolls were often the very word of God. And listen, do you understand that this holiday season, what Christmas teaches us is that Jesus Christ is in control of everything in your life. Listen, even when the word cancer enters into your story, Jesus is still sovereign ruler over your entire life. We sing because Jesus is worthy. But the second thing that we will sing is this, that Jesus is victorious. That he's victorious. Look in verse 10. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you were ransomed. You ransomed people for God. That's our word, ransom. Did you know that that word in the Greek is actually a market term? It's an everyday terminology. It means to go to the market and buy something. And think about that. That through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, listen, you have value in your life. I was listening to a uh, Christian author one time tell a story. He was speaking in um, Hollywood Boulevard area, and he was speaking at a conference, and very wealthy people were there. And they went to Hollywood Boulevard during the afternoon, and they went to all the fancy shops and everything like that. And he told a story about going into a clothing store. I don't, I was probably Gucci or something like that, you know, Gucci, Gucci or something like that. I don't know, you know. But he goes into the shopping store, and there's a T-shirt hanging on the rack, and it's got like holes cut in it and stuff like that, right? Not, oh, you know, the elderly people are nodding right now, like, all right, you know what I mean? We pay good money for that, you know what I mean? And he goes to the price tag, and the T-shirt was like $700. And he just looked at it and was like, I mean, come on, man. $700, got holes in it and everything like that. And he just went up to the cashier lady and said, listen, like, just can you break this down for me? Like, is this made, like, is this made of gold or something? Like, is it what make, like, why is this worth $700? And she goes, well, it's because of the designer label on the inside. And he said, that's a lot like you and me. Did you know that you have a designer label on you? That you were created in the image and likeness of God. That you have worth and that you have value. And the Christmas story tells us this, that Jesus Christ literally moved heaven and earth out of the way to come and pursue you, that he stepped down from all of the angels and all the creatures in heaven singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty to pursue you. But how did he get his victory? He's a lamb that was slain. Isn't it interesting when you go back and you hear the parables about Jesus, right? And he teaches about what the kingdom of God is like. And it's always anticlimactic. He's never like, the kingdom of God is like a sword or like a bear. He doesn't do that. He goes, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Kingdom of God is like a farmer just tossing it out. It's always anticlimactic. And here we see that all of heaven is surrounded by a lamb that was slain. Which tells me this. Salvation doesn't come through power. Salvation comes through surrender, which is the exact opposite of what your mind thinks. 
You see, Jesus Christ looked upon the face of the earth and in God's sovereignty, he did not take it by force to provide salvation. But rather, he came and was vulnerable and approachable. Salvation does not come through power. So listen, listen, listen. Now let's bridge a context from the text to your life. Um, how about your marriage? Now, I know all of you have a perfect marriage in here and you're not struggling over that in the holidays or anything like that, okay, right? Right? But oftentimes, if you want to ruin your marriage, why don't you try to be right all the time? You see, great victory never comes through great power. Great victory comes through great humility. Or how about forgiveness? Do you really want to release that person? And do you really want to move past that scenario in your life that has defined you for all these years? Then let it go and trust God with the future. You say, but Jason, I don't know. I I understand. I understand. But what I'm saying is if you try to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and try harder and try harder and try harder, you will be exhausted. And what Jesus asks is that you simply let it go. The next application that we understand is this, is that Jesus' victory gives us true hope. I'm talking real hope. I'm not talking Hallmark card hope, right? We define hope at Westside like this. Hope is holding on to the expectation that what God has said will happen. And God is batting a thousand on all of his promises, right? And, 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 and let me just argue with you for a little bit, because I know you're arguing there in your pew, right, with me already, because you're shooting down all this. This is ridiculous. This is revelation. This is all. Okay, okay, okay. What's your hope in? Let's just break it down, right? Everybody has a hope, right? Is it in the retirement plan? Or how about this? Is it in the knowledge of man? Mankind, right? If history has not taught us anything, it does not mean that technology and information makes us any smarter. Because I see people do some of the dumbest stuff with smartphones. You know what I'm talking about? Honestly, what is your hope in? And and, and maybe you're on the fence speaking over at Christianity, but one thing I will not allow you to do when you leave here today is to not recognize that if you reject this message, you only got one, one other alternative. This is a picture of a famous famous British atheist by the name of Bertrand Russell. He wrote a book that was a New York Times bestseller entitled, Why I Am Not a Christian. And he spent his life talking and being angry at a God that he never believed in and devoted his life kind of to God by proving that God didn't exist. It's always fascinating to me how how that plays out. But when he was nearing his deathbed, the British BBC did an interview with him. And they asked him, you're nearing your deathbed. What do you have to look forward to? What's your hope? Is it your body of work that you've left behind? And he actually critiqued his own body of work and said, no, probably not. And then the lady asked, then what do you have have to look forward to? And he said these words, I have nothing to hang on to but grim unyielding despair. 
Listen, if you're going to be bold enough to reject the message, then you better be bold enough to understand what the alternative to that message is. And if you think that philosophy is better for humanity, I want you to go to Children's Hospital and sit next to a bed of a five-year-old who doesn't have any hair, who's dying of cancer, and tell them that. This is the only hope that we have. Christmas is not cozy. Christmas is the only hope of salvation that we have. And I'm so weary of it always being, well, it's coming. And there's going to be this. And we're really close to this. And it's going to be this. Listen, I don't have that much time. I did a funeral this week. People are dying constantly. I don't have that much time. People are being hurtled into eternity constantly. I need something now. I need a rock to build my life on. I need promises that aren't fluffy, but that are bedrock, that I can pray for my babies, and that I can pray for my grandbabies, and offer them a hope that is eternity. We will sing, Westside, and we will sing that Jesus is worthy, and we will sing that Jesus is victorious. And then the last thing that we will sing and why we will sing, we will sing just simply because we are in his presence. Do you see what it says here? And it's a little bit ambiguous to us in verse 10. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Actually, you know, if a first century Jew was reading this, they would have gasped at that because that was an outlandish statement. So can we have fun with the Bible and do some sound effects? I'm going to read verse 10 again. And could you gasp out loud, right? Can we do that? Can we have fun with the Bible, right? Okay. Don't make me preach angry. I'll do it up here, okay? Here we go. Verse 10. And you have made them a kingdom of priests. You see, that was great. That was awesome you got to understand, that's an Old Testament reference. The priesthood was from the lineage of Aaron. They were the only people that could be in the holy of holies there in the temple. They were the only people that could literally be in the presence of God. And what John is telling us is that through the gospel, he has made everyone who calls upon his name a priest. It is called, the theology behind that is called the priesthood of all believers. Do you know what that means? That means there's jack nothing special about me. My prayers don't get to heaven any faster than if you pray. You ain't got to come up here, kiss my ring, do this, that, or the other, right? We have one mediator between God and man, and that is the God-man Jesus Christ. We pray for each other. But what is the application? What does this mean for us? The first thing is this. It means that God has chosen you. What? And, and, and don't do this thing. Don't like think of someone else like, oh, yeah, well, I know God chose them. No, no, no. I'm talking about you, bro. I'm talking about you and all your problems and all your failures and the argument you got with in your family before you walked in here this morning. Okay? You. Not because of anything that you have done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. And you know what? When you realize that news, when you understand that news, it's like a deep sigh of relief because, listen, it doesn't depend on you. And that's good news. I don't want that pressure, man. 
I don't need that in my life. That God has chosen you. But the next thing is this, that God delights in you. Because some of you think, yeah, sure, I know. God saved me. It's Christmas time. God had to save me. But I don't know if he likes me, really. You know what I mean, right? And some of you, he might struggle. No, no, I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. It's good news here at Westside. It's good news. I'm just teasing, right? We're all members of one body. I just don't know what some of you are a body part of. Okay, you know what I mean? I'm just teasing. The, the priesthood... The priesthood, they got to be in God's presence. They got to do some of the special things, if you will. And they were chosen from the lineage of Aaron, and they were very special. Like, do you understand the fact that, listen, I heard another preacher say it this way. God doesn't delight in some future version of you. Because that's what many of you think. Well, when I get this under control, and when I work this out, and when I do this, and get this underway, and do all that, then then God will really be satisfied. No, 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 no. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He delights in you now. And then the last thing that we see is this, that you have a purpose. You have a purpose. The priesthood of all believers, what happened in the Protestant Reformation, was that they understood that their work could now be worship. Because what you think I'm doing up here is sacred. Anything that happens up here you think is sacred and churchy. But when you go to work this week, it's just work and it's not sacred. Oh, you could not be more wrong. Your work is worship. So when you go, everything that you do has a purpose and it's for the glory of God. Stay-at-home moms changing those diapers for the glory of God. Men and women working in those factories, those 12-hour shifts, that is for the glory of God. Teachers who are around kids more than their own parents, you are a priesthood of believers being around those babies. Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Reformation, said it this way. We are not only kings and freest of all men, but also priests forever. A dignity far higher than kingship, because by that priesthood we are worthy to appear before God, to pray for others, to teach one another mutually the things we are of God. For these are the duties of priests, and they cannot possibly be permitted to any unbeliever. Christ obtained this favor for us if we believe in him that just as we are his brethren and co-heirs and fellow kings with him so we should be also fellow priests with him and venture with confidence through the spirit to come into the presence of God and cry Abba Father and to pray for one another and to do all things which we don't and figure in the visible and corporate office of the priesthood this is the church This is the whole point, because I get it. I'm not going to see some of you guys until Easter. I get it. Let's just call it what it is. You know what I'm saying? But here's what church really is. Some of y'all are like, dang, he's preaching like that. Yes, we do, okay? (laughs) But here's what it is. That's why you need to gather with your local church. And I don't want to hear the list of excuses on everything. You've got to be a part of the body. If you don't want to be a part of Westside, there's a number of great churches. I get it. Ball head tattoos. I freak people out sometimes. I understand that. But this is why what Christmas has bought for us is that you now have the ability to pray for other people, to work for the glory of God, and to have a purpose. Do you understand that this is the song that we will sing? Oh, that Jesus is worthy, that he's victorious. Listen, man, no more funerals. 
Oh God, no more funerals, no more hospitals, no more war, no more rumors of war. None of that because when he comes, justice will be served and peace will be brought and death. Jesus says that he holds the keys to death and hell itself. Man, if, that's, if that won't get you singing, then there's no hope for you, bro. And then lastly, we will simply sing because we are in his presence. The band's going to come up and lead us in a time of response. And we've got our tables here. We always end our services with communion. And we've got four tables up here to accommodate for the crowd. But I want to end with this story about singing. Because I know what some of you are saying. I get it. I've been in this game long enough. Christmas is a very stressful time. And I don't mean by buying presents and things like that. I don't know any other holiday that brings the internal conflict of your marriage, your family, your kids, the hurt, the unforgiveness to the surface like Christmas. Let's just be honest. Say what it is. And some of you say, Jason, I do not have a song. I understand you're saying that's the song we're going to sing. And we've looked back on the songs that we've sung. Do you remember in 2010 the earthquake that struck Haiti? It was a 7.3 magnitude and it claimed 100,000 lives. There are parts of Haiti that still do not have electricity to this day, right now, almost eight years later. One of the things that the news never showed or reported was what happened at night. And the BBC was there and they had a little quick article and that was it. It was just, and I studied it more and it was true. At night, for miles and miles and miles, in the pitch black dark, amongst the rubble, all you could hear were people singing. They were singing hymns, and they were singing praises. The reporter put it this way. They sang. You see, when you don't have technology, you still have a song. When you've lost everything, in fact... You still have a song. All over the hills of Haiti, those first terrible nights under the starlit sky, the voices of the people of Haiti rose up in grief and lament, but in prayer and in hope. They had something we have sure most lost in the States, and they still have it. And anyone who has ever visited a Haitian church or family knows. And you understand that we can have this in our homes too, and in our churches. If we choose not to let anything else sing for us. I'm going to invite you to come to the tables in a moment. Listen to me. I don't want anything else to sing for you. But I want you to sing today in understanding that we look back, that God is faithful to his promises. Christmas means God's batting a thousand. And we sing with hope of the song, of the new song we will sing, that he's worthy that he's victorious and that we will be in his presence. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we are thankful for the new song that we will sing and for the glory of the gospel message. God, I pray that these next songs that we sing, that we would belt them out. Christ has come and he's coming again. This is our only hope. There is nothing else that we have. And as we come to the table, may we understand that victory did not come through power, but that it came through surrender. And God, I pray that this Christmas, the greatest gift that you could give someone in this room would be to understand what eternal life is and what hope is 
and that you would meet someone right where they're at for the very first time today. God, may we sing with hope and anticipation the new song that is to come. We pray this all in the holy and in the mighty and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand right where you're at and come and partake in communion as you...